صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنرز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 اي ام اند بلستاين ريمبرد وذ يوسف احمد الرماوي ناصر المشني اند روبرت مارتن Our episode today will be dedicated to the painful memory of Sabra and Chatila massacre. Stay with us. Good morning, listeners. A somber day as we commemorate 40 years since the brutal massacre of Palestinian residents of the refugee camp Sabra and Chatila in Lebanon. Join Yusuf, Robert and I as we share a show from our archive. Good morning, gentlemen. Yusuf, Robert. Good morning. Good morning, listeners. Um, this week uh, marks the 35th uh, anniversary of a very sad chapter of the Palestinian modern history. Uh, Nasser uh, and I and Robert, of course, uh, we will uh, talk about the uh, Sabra and Shatila memory. 6th of June 1982, Israel invades Lebanon with the um, stated aim of rooting out the Palestinian Liberation Organization and in their ideal world to transform Chris, uh, Lebanon into a Christian ally. They wanted to install a Christian government and create a peace treaty to the north of, of Lebanon. Um, by uh, They quickly moved all the way north and surrounded uh, Beirut and obviously, as uh, Israel's want is, they put a siege on the city of Beirut By August 21, the U- United States had broken a, an agreement between the parties and the agreement allowed for the safe evacuation of the Palestinian fighters for the PLO to leave uh, Lebanon and to move to other Arab countries under the supervision of Western nations. And But one of the, the core principles in writing was the guarantee of protection of Palestinian refugees and the civilian re- residents of the Palestinian refugee camps. Mm. I mean, this was a, a, a very important part. It's important uh, to mention, Nasser, that uh, 82 had been uh, seven years for the beginning of the Lebanese uh, civil war. And uh, in these seven years before or leading to the invasion of uh, Lebanon, uh, the Palestinian Liberation Organization and the Lebanese resistance forces were on their own fighting uh, the Israeli violations of uh, Lebanese sovereignty uh, over and over and mm-hmm. over again, whether attacking uh, refugee camps or Lebanese targets. And uh, it's also worth mentioning that uh, le- the few months leading to the invasion, there was a ceasefire agreement uh, supported by the United Nations between PLO slash Lebanese resistance and Israel. So by invading Lebanon, Israel didn't only uh, broke the sovereignty of Lebanon, but also broke the UN-sponsored agreement. Well, they're not shy in doing that, as we know. Um, so part of the agreement was the United States deployed Marines to Lebanon as part of a multinational force. Uh, Yasser Arafat Abu Omar left uh, uh, Lebanon. After heroic resistance. Uh, heroic resistance, absolutely. And, uh, you know, those the images of, of him... Um, you know, in his uh, battle fatigues, leaving mm. uh, victorious from from Lebanon, um, the 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 ceasefire included those written guarantees, and the the Marines departed on September 10. After the American withdrawal, the Israeli military was in full control of West Beirut, which includes Sabra and Shatila. And it's important to say that West Beirut didn't fall during the siege. It fell after PLO uh, left. Left, correct. So that's why they they still have the right. I mean, the Palestinians and the Lebanese say that we did not surrender. Mm-hmm. 
That's true. And um, this is some, some stuff from the Kahan Commission, which was Israel's official report into the massacre. On the morning of the 15th of September, Israeli Defense Minister Ariel Sharon held a meeting with the IDF Chief of Staff, Itan, at the IDF's forward command post on the roof of a five-story building 200 metres southwest of the Shatila camp. In attendance, now listen to this group, were Sharon's aide, Avi Dudai, the Director of Military Intelligence, Yeshu Sagoy, a Senior Mossad Officer, General Amir Droy, General Amos Yaron, an Intelligence Officer, the Head of GSS, Avraham Shalom, the Deputy Chief of Staff, General Moshe Levy, and other senior officers. Mm. At that meeting, this is the Kahan Commission said, this is the Israeli report into the massacre, almost a year later, it was agreed amongst these people that they would allow the Maronite Christian Falange Party, the Kateb, and the Eli Hubeka into the camps. Eli Hubeka is the commander of the Falangists uh, and the leader of that operation who actually led the butchering and the massacre of yep. the Palestinians. So the Israelis, by mentioning these names, and we have to remember that this is an Israeli um, uh, investigation, so yeah. assume that we had an independent as uh, uh, as independent as it might be, but this this is the Wednesday. Mm. Now the massacres happened f- uh, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday. So this is on the Wednesday. These this group met together, and this is where they agreed. By noon of the fifteenth of September, so this is the morning. Now we're talking lunchtime. Sabra and Shatila are surrounded by the IDF. They've set up checkpoints, not allowing anybody in or out. The exits and entrances are manned. And they're using a number of multi-story buildings in the surrounds of Sabra Shantila as obs- observation posts. Amongst them was a seven-story, the seven-story Kuwaiti embassy. And according to Time magazine, this uh, building had an unobstructed and panoramic view of Sabra Shantila. Sabra Shantila are very small camps of uh, Beirut. And we're talking about something like two square kilometers maximum. Yeah. So hours later, Sharon orders the IDF to start bombing the tanks to start shelling Sabra and Shatila to soften uh, the, the area. And the, the bombardment continued throughout the afternoon and into the early evening of the 15th of September. Mm. And, uh, of course, uh, on the 14th of, of September uh, was the assassination of Bashir al the Lebanese uh, president, and, of course, the Israelis played into the anger of the phalangists, the le- their leader was assassinated. And of course, when we, when we say Bashir al he was the Israeli-backed uh, president of Lebanon, yep. and he was not assassinated by Palestinians, nor no. Lebanese resistance. No. And nevertheless, the Israelis directed their anger and their... Well, the Israelis told the, the, the Maronites that in fact it was the Palestinians that did it. We know where they are. Chance to They're in Sabra and Shatila. You need to go in there and clean this up for yourselves. Mm. On the night of the 16th, of September 1982, the IDF opened the doors and ushered the Kata'ib in and allowed them unfettered access into these two Palestinian refugees. Defenseless, we have to say defenseless. Remember that these uh, camps, West Beirut, never fell in all of the 88 uh, odd days of the invasion of Israel into Lebanon. The, 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 PLO resistance fighters are now no longer in Lebanon to protect them. The Americans who had signed an agreement that would allow for Palestinians to be protected are not there. The Israelis have surrounded this two odd square miles, bombed it with tanks for a day and uh, almost a day, have now let in the phalangists who they've told um, the the murderer of your prime minister, your leader, Bashir Jamal, is in this camp. And, and these are civilians? Civilians, mum, dads, and, one, and dads and kids. 100% civilians. 
because we're talking about not the, a gun the in the few camp. weeks, the few weeks that followed the expulsion of fighters. And they made sure that all fighters would leave uh, Beirut particularly. And so when we say that this is a civilian target, we mean it. It's a purely civilian target. In the ensuing rampage, the Kata'ib raped, killed and dismembered up to three and a half thousand people. To make sure that the bloodbath did not stop at night time, the Israeli tanks sent up flares, luminescent flares throughout the night to, to ensure lighten. to lighten so that they didn't have to stop. So you don't have to slow down because it's night time. Here's these flares so you can keep going. All, nearly all of the dead were women, children, elderly men. And I want to talk ju- just quickly about what, what we're talking about here. People tortured, blackened bodies smelling of roasted flesh from the power shocks that had convulsed their bodies before their hearts gave out, the electric wires still tied around their lifeless limbs. People with gouged out eye sockets, faces unrecognizable with gaping holes that had been plunged them into darkness before their lives were uh, thankfully ended. Women raped, not once, but two, three, four times, horribly violated, their legs shamelessly ripped apart, and not even the cover of clothing to preserve the dignity at the moment of death. Children dynamited, dynamited, alive. So many body parts ripped from their tiny torsos, so hard to know whom they belong to. Just mounds of bloodied limbs amongst the tussled heads of children in pools of blood. Entire families executed, lined up against the wall. Blood upon blood, more blood sprayed on the walls. Whole families axed to death in a frenzy. I mean, it just beggars belief. And these are quotes from different journalists. And Janet Lee, she was an American journalist. Some of those were hers. Later wrote to her husband, I saw dead women in their houses with their skirts up to their waists. I mean, legs spread apart, dozens of young men shot after being lined up against an alley wall, children with their lo- throats slit, pregnant women with their stomach stomachs chopped open. I mean, just sickening, just sickening stuff. Are you saying that there's never been a charge laid? There's never been a proper in- investigation? I, I mean, so this is premeditated murder. The first guns. attempt to uh, bring uh, the... Uh, perpetrators to court was 15 years later and uh, it was intercepted uh, by the uh, assassination of the main suspect uh, uh, that Nasser mentioned and uh, he was only assassinated when there was a court but he was welcomed to Damascus and other Arab cities as a minister so uh, not only he got away with the murder he was rewarded and uh, became a minister in a Lebanese cabinet so we're talking about uh, a complicity from elements from within Lebanon from Syria from the Arab world and internationally so the, the IDF surrounded the village threw bombs grenades tanks to loosen them up and, and then for at least 24 hours 48 hours they unleashed almost three days for three days straight they killed, butchered, murdered anything that they saw, the, the, and bodies that, were found tied up. Oh, mate, just sickening stuff—stuff stuff you can't even imagine. But in that, the Israelis gave the 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 um, uh, 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 speed to keep them keep them awake, alcohol to keep the orgy <coughs> just going. I mean, it's just—it's sickening shit. And we're talking about uh, you know an estimated number of six hundred fighters. Uh, raiding uh, two small suburbs of Beirut 
uh, two small camps, circled uh, camps, and uh, they distributed their time into uh, rooster or shifts so that uh, fighters would, when they feel uh, tired of butchering people, because it's, you know, you get tired. Laborious. And uh, so you would sleep until uh, other people take your role, and then you wake up again and, and, and. So we're talking about systematic, orchestrated uh, act of uh, death that was um, thrown onto civilians and that took place for nearly three days. Well, I mean, that's an unequivocally a terrorist organisation. I mean, that's unequivocally, and we, we talk about so the, ISIS the, and the, Daesh. And uh, the, the UN, in fact, ended up uh, calling it a genocide, But and, and some family members uh, took uh, Ariel Sharon to, to the Belgian court um, and endeavoured to put a prosecution to bear there. The Americans then interceded into the Belgians and said, you know, um, you can't try a, a, a foreign person. Um, they appealed, and by then the, um, uh, the, the jurisdiction of crimes against humanity went to um, The Hague, and they said the cutoff point is 2002, and that happened in 1982, so it's beyond the jurisdiction of this court. And so the, the action never, ever went anywhere. Uh, they're sitting there dormant and still nothing. Well, no, no, nothing can happen. It's, you know, it, there's the no families, court that can the, hear the it. The families of the people that... As it, it was happening, there was no coverage. So the first sign of coverage or the first uh, 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 spotlights of media coverage was uh, maybe three days later or well, four days later. Yeah, uh, I think Fisk went in, in, in a day, you know, a day and a bit in and said something. There was, there was enough to come out that the Americans actually knew something was going on. Ronald Reagan called Menachem Begin and said, what the? Mm. But didn't actually fulfill his obligation as a human being. But in terms of international public yeah, no, opinion? It wasn't until day five, day six. And well, Robert, Robert Fisk wrote an important book about that, uh, Pity the Nation. Yep. And I encourage our listeners to read He wrote a piece I remember reading years ago, maybe 1997. It was 15, at the 15-year anniversary. Here we are, you know, 35 years later. But he said, you know, imagine if Palestinians had killed three and a half thousand uh, Jews. Mm-hmm. Uh, would would this not, day not be commemorated? Would we not know the names of? Would we? Would we? Would we? Would we? And here we are in Great Britain. He wrote the article from, you know, fifteen years later, not a mention of it anywhere. Not a, not even a little paragraph. Let alone that people don't know what Sabra and Chatila yeah. is. Mm. So in 1983, the Kahan Commission was um, uh, put together and it concluded with a couple of uh, important findings. Ultimately, that the Israeli leaders were indirectly responsible, but that Ariel Sharon, then the Defence Minister and later Prime Minister, bore personal responsibility for failing to prevent them and for ignoring the danger of bloodshed and revenge. Um, You know, the fact is he ended up uh, losing his ministry, but he was a minister without portfolio in, in that government. Then went and went on to become prime minister, and uh, you know, and the leader of another party. Another party. So people loved him because of it in Israel. Well, I would oh, say, I would say, it, look, we don't want to say because no, of no. that. I'm asking, I'm not saying. I'm because, not saying but, but people but, or the, the, the Israelis who vote for fear-driven uh, agenda would see in somebody like Sharon as the person who is able to bring law and order and security. To protect them. We should say also, also the, the, when, when, when the details of the massacre came out, there were protests in, in Tel Aviv. You know, significant tens of thousands of people came out and said, this it could this, be the this biggest in Jew. the history of yeah. Israel. Not in the name of Judaism. The reality is, is those Jews of 1982, yeah, 
they're, they're not about anymore any great number. I mean, if you're a leftist today, I mean, you have a look at um, Benjamin Netanyahu's son, you know, who's posted a picture on Facebook or Twitter with, you know, a full anti-Semitic. I mean, it's just crazy what he would do. And and he now calls anti Arab anti Semitic uh, it's anti Semitic stuff yeah, mm. um, but he's the the mm. right of um, uh, Israel aligns itself now with you know the the white supremacist movement, you know and anybody that's left of us you know those leftists they're they're the Nazis today, in the, in the mindset of the far right, if you're a lefty if you're a peace loving person you're actually the Nazi. Well, a normal person would have done everything to to stop. The massacre, but these guys. Are no, no. Ariel well, Sharon facilitated it. Ariel Sharon and his buddies. Person. I mean, these guys planned. They knew what would happen. Yeah. They knew that if they, you know, fed the the phalangists, who you know, for for a huge chunk of time, these guys don't even think they're Arab. You know, the Phoenicians. Um, that the the death of their leader was uh, is uh, was done by somebody in there. Those Palestinians are all responsible. You know, you're not an Arab. You're you're you're, you're not a Muslim. These people aren't like you. The world would be better for you if you went there. This sort of stuff. And I mean, the cadre of people that were there at that at that meeting on the morning of the day before. I mean, you, you know, you, these these are lunatics. Yeah, senior 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 people. Yeah. Ellen Sharon, who's the defence minister, I mean, you know, the defense, Australian defence minister never attends a battleground. He's sitting in Canberra, but there he is with his own aide, the director of military intelligence, a senior Mossad officer, the intelligence head of GSS, the deputy chief of staff. I mean, they, they, this is, you know... They know what's going on. Number one, two, three, four, five, you know? And they're there saying, OK, tomorrow we're going to do this. Shit. So this year is the 35th anniversary of uh, Sabra and Shatila, the day that humanity really witnessed a black chapter. And I say black not because it's... Uh, I mean, we don't want to compare 3,000 versus half a million somewhere else. It's because uh, they didn't get the coverage they deserve. The murderers got away with it, and Israel is still enjoying the reputation of spreading peace and uh, being the only, victim, the only victim in the uh, in, in the region. When in fact, without it, definitely this is a black and white type of fact. Had it not been for the Israelis, the phalangists wouldn't have invaded Sabra and Shatila. Just, just when you say too, though, it's you know you don't want to compare the numbers: three thousand versus three million. Mm. To me, it's no different. I mean, they have treated these people, mums and dads and kids and animals, mm. with cold heart, burnt them, done everything they possibly can. Mm. That's mm. as horrific as killing three million people. What's mm. the difference? These are uh, civilians that have done nothing other than be in the wrong place. I think you, uh, Rob. Where the difference is, is that, you know, if you, if you want to bring in, you know, the, the, the Holocaust, is that uh, Nazi Germany had a systematic campaign to rid the world of all Jews. We're not saying that the Jews were in a, in a situation where they're trying to rid the world of all Palestinians, but certainly they enabled all the Palestinians of Sabra and Shatila to be slaughtered to be that weekend. Um, and uh, I remember uh, watching uh, uh, a documentary on Sabra and Shatila recently, were uh, a woman uh, devastated by and couldn't believe what was happening because imagine now we're we're saddened and uh, torn apart talking about it 35 years uh, later imagine having to go through it and having to witnesses to witness it so she was saying that they she told she said in arabic which means that they waited for men fighters to leave and then came to the camps
what is more coward than this? These were defenseless, elderly women, children. I, mean, so just, I, I just think it's another one of these, you know, I mean, I feel sorry for the Palestinians. It's, I mean, I can see you guys are deeply moved by it. But the fact that this is another thing that they've had to live through that's been swept under the carpet and they're labelled the terrorists well, and they're labelled the haters. This is why we it's still talk about them and we will always talk about them. And this is if there is any Palestinian who has relatives uh, from Sabra and Shatila or inside Sabra and Shatila today, we want to tell them that we will never forget their uh, the, that that moment, and we will keep remembering and commemorating mm. uh, that tragedy forever. So, Nasser, as a as a Palestinian, I mean, obviously you grew up. What what with it all? What was your recollection when this was occurring? Because your dad would have been telling you, and you were old enough to understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was twelve when this this happened. Um, and I remember, you know, it wasn't unusual for us to see Dad crying. It wasn't unusual because uh, he wore the pain of uh, Palestine very, very close to his heart. Um, but I remember, you know, this is the, the first demonstration I actually, I think, beyond actually knowing that I was there, I actually remember it happening and being there uh, in 1982 when after, well, A, with the invasion of Lebanon, but in particular this, this invasion. Because what happens with demonstrations is people get demo fatigue they come out on day one but you know here we are sort of 10 weeks later still demoing every weekend Sabra and Shatila happened and uh there was only there was uh six of us yeah my my family and my uncle and uh uh look just I just remember the pain you know we just that was inconsolable we're all just uh just couldn't believe it I mean the pictures were so graphic you mm. know and the pictures were three and four days later so the bodies had decomposed and were bloated and mm. I mean you know, just you know, just horrible kids cut in half and oh, just an orgy of blood. The Palestine. I think it's fair to say that Palestinians' lives were no longer the same after Sabra and Shatila. This massacre was a turning point in our memory and history. Even though we witnessed many, many defeats and massacres, and I say this because of the sheer pain we still have in our hearts. When when you um, bombard with one big bomb uh, a village or a city and then you kill 5,000 people, it's tragic and you killed a whole population. But it is more tragic when you go one by one. You kill these 5,000 people one by one. You take your time, you smoke, you have fun, you sing, and you butcher people innocent people and we're talking about like Nasser said women children elderly people and you take pleasure you take pleasure in doing so so this is what we are talking about when it comes to Sabra and Shatila and and the promise that the world had made us the promise was we will look after your people you can leave America it was a written agreement too it wasn't just a, a handshake it was written it was a written agreement that PLO uh, after PLO leaves, the refugee camps will be protected, and it was under the custody of the Americans. But uh, we were let down by all humanity. By, by humanity, we were let down by the Lebanese. Mm. I don't want to say all of them, uh, by elements from Lebanon, and we were let down by the foreign policy of the United States and the world. And uh, of course, I don't want to say let down, but our enemy, Israel took the biggest role uh, of, of uh, making sure that this uh, massacre takes place to the, its to its fullest extent. Well, my heart goes out to everybody because I can people can't see you guys. I mean, I'm you know I'm, I'm pretty emotional now from seeing it. It's like Nasser's been you know you're living, living it again. But I think one of the, the biggest tragedies is that 
you know, the Palestinians are demonised, mm. and you hear the stories of Nasser's father I was, crying, I being, was, you know. Mm, I, I was maybe too young to remember details or to understand, but old enough to feel the pain in uh, in, in in our family. Uh, my father is a poet. He wrote a collection of po- of, of poems titled Hellat Min Sabra Ashtar, and uh, it was an open wound and still is that we're still bleeding. And uh, until the day justice prevails and uh, these rallies and the remaining of criminals are brought to court. Before we end the program, uh, we have to acknowledge uh, the heroic uh, act of an Australian, Sean Oliver of Craigieburn, who was in Wollongong uh, last uh, uh, or a few days ago. Um, Sean um, lost his life trying to save uh, some Palestinian uh, well, I children. Think, I think we should just say, I mean, he lost his life in an act of heroism trying to save children. Trying to save children now, well, who happened to be from Palestine. Be he didn't know that. No, no, no. It didn't matter to him. And I'm he's sure. Left, he left a, a, a beautiful wife and three children of his own now, who won't have a father. What a devastating! Uh, what a man just to get up and, and go and and not worry about. Into right, really, beautiful. really terrible surf. Yeah. And uh, on behalf of the of us, the three of us in this room, and the Palestinians, and all uh, people who just look at each other as humans. We want to acknowledge his selfless heroism and we want to condole and to send our sincere condolences to his family, his wife, his, uh, his kids and all Australians. And in fact, we spoke to the family of the Palestinian uh, uh, children who were uh, saved by uh, Sean and others. Uh, and uh, they actually um, sent us this message. So this is the message of the family of Ahmed Qasim Hamad. Uh, the message uh, goes to the family of Sean Oliver in recognition and acknowledgement of his heroic act. Hi, um, I'd just like to say a few words on behalf of the Hamad family and myself. Um, we are deeply saddened by the tragic loss of Sean Oliver. Uh, we are still actually in shock by this tragic a- a- a incident. Um, therefore, it is, I am finding it really hard um, to speak because we are still in shock um, and deeply saddened. Um, you know, even though we didn't know Sean Oliver, we 
we feel as though we are still mourning over his death, and it's been it's been really hard uh, these past few days. Um, you know, because even though uh, this this man, we didn't know him at all, it, it is as if we have known him for a very long time. Um, please accept our condolences uh, and just know that Sean has died a hero and will always be remembered as a truly genuine human being who did risk his life to save another human being's life. And that is that is absolutely amazing. And just just thinking one soul has passed away, giving his his life away just for another human being is absolutely incredible. These days you don't find people like that and that's why we we are truly uh, grateful. On, my, on myself and the Hamad family, we are truly grateful uh, for this act of heroism. Um, and again, we'd just like to say thank you very, very much. And, it, you know, thanking is, is definitely not enough in this situation, but this will be a, an act that, we won't be, that won't be forgotten. Definitely we'll remember it for the rest of our lives, and we are grateful. So thank you very much. We've come to the end of this week's episode of Palestine. Remembered that was totally dedicated to the memory and pain of the massacre of Sabra and Shatila, and also the heroic legacy of uh, Sean Oliver. It's been five years since Sean sacrificed himself trying to save that Palestinian family. Our condolences again extended to his family. May he rest in eternal peace. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell your friends, share the podcast, and remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.